New week here on the call up and we are finishing out the NL Central here as we fly through our top prospect lists by team. It's the Pittsburgh Pirates today, a system that, of course, Jack McMullen is very familiar with. I'm Aram Layton. Jack joining me. We're going to talk about some AAA guys, some guys that you saw plenty of. Unfortunately, some of my favorite players in the system over the last couple of years recently graduated. And those are the guys that you saw a lot of. That's generally how the hierarchy works, being that you're in AAA. But I know this list also includes a lot of names that you are very excited to potentially see this upcoming season. So this is going to be a fun one, Jack, to just kind of fly through what is a very pitching heavy system and a lot of really fun and unique arms. Yeah. So off the dome, I'm trying to think of all the guys that graduated from prospect status this past year, because the year before that, it was a Jack Sawinski and a Rolanzi Contreras. Like both those guys are surely top 10 in this system. But this past year was Henry Davis, Andy Rodriguez, Nick Gonzalez, Jared Triolo, Quinn Priester, Luis Ortiz, Jiwan Bay, Alika Williams, Carmen Majinski. Like, that's nine off the dome. There were a couple others. Like, Colin Selby was at 24 innings. Like, he kind of graduated, too. All of these guys would be top 15er names to watch. So the fact that all these guys graduated and they still have at worst a middling system in major league baseball is really impressive. Like a great job drafting and a great job in IFA by Ben Charrington. Yeah. I was going to say, I think it's, I think it's better than that. And it's funny because I, I kind of went into this thinking it was, it was middling in a lot of ways, but then you, you look at, of course it helps to have the number one pick in the draft and we'll get to Paul Skeens, but right. You look at the depth that they have pitching wise and the options that they have. And so many guys that I think are right on that 45 plus to 50 future value threshold, which is pretty much right on the back end of like, if you're a 50 future value guy for us, at just baseball. You're more likely a number four, number five starter. There's some variance there. If 50 plus, that means you could be like a high end four, maybe outside shot at a three. But usually if a guy has number three upside, they'll be a 55, you know, and, and we'll talk about that because there's sem- several prospects here that are 50 future value that are ranked, you know, obviously one is over the other and they're similar right handers. And we'll talk about kind of what separates them. But realizing that this system is pretty deep in terms of of pitching for sure. But then you also have, you know, the top end guys like elite blue chip type of prospects with skeins and Termar. It's definitely gotten stronger. And then just even be able to snag, we'll talk about him, a Jackson Wolf. And what was pretty much a nothing trade from the Padres, Wolf might be a guy that actually factors in and does, again, just gives them some 45 future value uh, pitching depth that no system can have too much of. But speech, speaking of depth, we'll just dive right into the names to watch, which, as always, Jack will, will walk us through. And I'll fill in. I'll let you just kind of go through all of it. And then I'll fill in on a couple guys that, you know, I want to fill in on that may have been close to the top 15 spot. There are several hitting prospects. We also forgot. I don't know if you mentioned Leo for Paguero, him graduating as well. That was oh, also yeah, another, Paguero. you know, very solid prospect in the system. And a guy that I still think will finish his development at the big league level could be a good piece for them. Uh, but on, on, on the hitting side, when you go deeper down, it's, it's a lot of tools usually and you're just kind of waiting to see where it all shakes out. We're going reverse alphabetical order this time. And that leads you right into a guy with a lot of tools that we're waiting to see how it all shakes out. Yeah. So it was it was a great math equation done by the Pirates front office in 2021, where they underslot Henry Davis by about one point five, two million dollars. They use those savings on three guys on Solomito, 
Bubba Chandler. We're going to talk about both those guys later on and Lonnie White and Lonnie White could absolutely be in the top 15 if he played more. That's the problem. Mm -hmm. 11 games in his first two years of professional baseball might have been nine games like it was just injury after injury. It wasn't you know going well there. He plays about 70 games this year between the complex and low A and he like showcases what I think a lot of people were excited about it was about eight homers and like 18 bags in 61 games, nine homers, 18 bags in 61 games. Guy was going to play wide receiver at Penn state. He's clearly a really good athlete. It's just a matter of availability and maybe he climbs. Problem is he's, he's kind of two years behind. Yep. Estuar Suero is the next guy. And Suero was a deadline acquisition with Wolf in that same deal for Rich Hill and G-Man Choi. He's 6'5". He's super lanky. He's 18 for the majority of the year. Like, he just hit 230 with a, a bunch of Ks, but he can play, it seems, all three outfield spots. It's just way too early to make a hypothesis on him. Kind of same thing with Johnny Severino who was a one-for-one swap. Uh, Carlos Santana went from Pittsburgh to Milwaukee. Severino came back. But Severino signed for over a million dollars. Brewers really liked him, and they got decent production out of Santana after the deadline. So I I think they're hoping that that Severino can really put it together. And he had a nice finish to the year in the DSL or the complex. Complex. And and yeah, actually... Very solid. This is a name that, you know, we talk about names to watch being a switch hitter and you're doing some of the things that he did in a small sample. Definitely one of the names I'm more intrigued by uh, going into next year. He'll be 19 the entire season. Yeah, 100 um, percent. Next guy we got for you is Shailene Polanco. Polanco was about two point three million dollars worth in 2021 in the IFA period. And, and Polanco got off to. A slow start, but he got off the complex this year, spent the majority of the year in Bradenton and was like fine. Um, He's gotten better each year, which is really interesting. And the power really surged. It was with six homers in his first two years, DSL and complex, and then 12 homers this past year. So you can really buy into that. Next guy's Kyle Nicholas. Um, I I know you really like Kyle Nicholas. I really like Kyle Nicholas. He was really struggling as a starting pitcher when I first saw him in person in Indianapolis. They shut him down for like a week and a half. And then he comes out of the bullpen. And it's like he just had a switch flipped. That was insane. And, And he was... He, he upped it from like sitting 95 to sitting 98, 99. The slider was disgusting at 90 miles an hour. Put this guy in a short spurt. That's what warranted that big league call up. He has a chance to be a major league reliever this year. I don't mm-hmm. know if they're going to try and revert back to the starting pitching thing or not. I hope they don't because it's like mm-hmm. legit setup stuff. It's very mm-hmm. similar to what happened with Carmen Majinski last year, who turned into a gross reliever. A hundred percent. And I think being able to lean into that a little bit more, right. You you do some things as a starter that, you know, or or you you do some things as a reliever that you can't get away with as a starter, maybe adjusting your release point, doing some things that, you know, wouldn't be conducive to throwing 80, 90 pitches in an outing, but if you're throwing 15, 20, you know, you can build into some more deception and, and, and lean into certain things more. And Nicholas is very talented and I think could lean into some, some things that would make him, even nastier and higher leverage like Majinski did, like you said, and also friend of the show. He's been on multiple times in the past, just a fantastic dude too. So very easy to root for. Uh, And another ball state alum. 
Another Ball State alum, his uh, his uncle, by the way, Todd Blackledge, yes, who was doing uh, color work for uh, NBC this past year after being with ESPN ABC for a long time. Matt Gorski, another guy in AAA. He's older. He's 26 years old. But this guy is a pretty solid defender in what can be all three outfield spots. He played a little bit of first base at the end of the year. This guy's like a 2020 threat sneaky. If he plays the entirety of the year, he was having a nagging quad issue in 2022. 23 plays the majority of the year. He's got back-to-back 2020 seasons here. It's what, 44 homers, 44 stolen bases, and 51 attempts in his last 189 games. It's speed and power. I just don't know where the opportunity is because he's like buried behind a lot of these elite tool guys that are two years younger than him. It's like it's like a watered down Jack Sawinski, right? Because you're going to get yeah. that speed, you're going to get the ball hit really hard, and just Sawinski being a left-handed bat, it just it just seems like it all comes together a little bit more for him. Gorski's a good option, you know, because he does hit the ball really hard and he does offer that speed, but there's a lot of whiff, and yeah. right now just too much chase. But that said, again, like if this is the guy that I have in AAA waiting in the wings, have it be somebody that has this kind of upside and, and can make an impact if he gets hot or or has something click for him. Yeah, um, I and like Sawinski, there's a lot of whiff, too, but there's less chase than Gorski. Mm-hmm. So I think that's probably the thing that Sawinski has. He can also play a better center field than Gorski can, but Gorski can play a solid corner. Uh, Garrett Forster, another guy. He had a great year at Oregon State. 61 games slash 341, 485, 522. He got a six-game taste of low A to end the year. 29 plate appearances. This guy got on base, what, 16 times in 29 plate appearances. He's going to walk. He's going to hit some homers. He's probably a first baseman, but like that's okay. Um, Jordani De Los Santos, another guy who was in Bradenton this past year. Other guy signed for over a million dollars, 1.2 in the 2022 IFA cycle. He just like, it's low batting average, high K rate. You know, like you hope this guy kind of develops into a decent power threat at shortstop. Like there are just a lot of those guys in this organization, yep. it seems. Yeah. Yeah. Jace Bowen, another one. Um, 11th round pick in 19 out of high school in Toledo. He is like first base corner type, truly. Um, but dude, like he can swipe bags, like 23 homers, 24 bags, and 29 attempts as a first baseman. And then he had a great showing in the Arizona Fall League. Did you see him yeah. in the Fall League? Yeah, I, I did. I'm, I'm glad you asked because I almost wonder, like, he's fast enough that if he gets enough reps, maybe he can learn how to play a passable center, but I do like him in the corners. I watched this guy, dude, he hit a ball into the outfield. It got misplayed and watching him kick it into gear for an inside the park home run. I don't think they ended up counting it as an error. Um, He can motor, like he can really, really fly. If I'm not mistaken, was a legitimate football player too. Uh, and, And you can see that athleticism and impact 23 years old, I think you could kind of see this maybe super utility type. I, I right. think he's kind of limited to first base when it comes to the infield, but if he can play first base and the outfield as well, speedy utility piece. I'm really interested to see how the defense progresses in center, which was a big part of, I think, him getting more reps in the AFL. They had him kind of playing all over, right, left, center, first. And I think that might be what they want him to lean into, right, is you can run into some homers, can play several positions, you can really motor. I think it's a fun profile. Yeah, it's a really fun profile. The, the question is, how much center can he play? Because that can be the differentiator between him and Connor Joe, 
right? Joe yeah. is first base at the corners. He, he does a lot of similar things to what Joe does. Um, maybe a little bit more pop in the tank, but Joe adds a little bit more of a dynamic element to his game. Um, I think center could be a differentiator. Yeah. Two more I guys. Yeah, yeah. I, say, I won't. I won't sit here and pretend I crushed the uh, Jace Bowen center field tape, but I, I will I look into it a little bit more this coming year if uh, if he's hitting, and you know maybe that could be what end, ends up differentiating him. Yeah, two more guys. Um, Jack Brannigan was a big time riser this past year. He got up to high A. He was a third baseman at Notre Dame for a good bit. 2022 MLB draft. He was a third round pick. Um, but this man, high efficiency base dealer, 24 for 27. He had a 915 OPS. He went to the fall league. He was just fine. But this guy's year in Bradenton and Greensboro really kind of upped his stock in this system. Yeah, two way guy too. He, he threw in the mound a little bit. Um, yeah, I, I believe in, in in college he threw pretty hard. So you can see so he's, got, he's got the arm to be at third base. Oh yeah, no, I think he'd be a really good defender at third base potentially. The, the footwork continues to get better. It's a lot of whiff, uh, and, and that's kind of the question here: is is, is how much impact is going to be there, and uh, or excuse me, how much uh, the hit tool is going to be there? But I actually think he can play a fine shortstop as well. He made some good plays. Um, and I think if, if you're able to stick on the left side, play solid defense on the left side, run into some home runs and just make enough contact, I think that's why the Pirates are intrigued. He's he's still relatively young at 22 years old compared to some of the other college guys that you know are kind of lower on the pecking order when it comes to getting opportunities. I think the fact that they sent him to the AFL is a little bit of a tell of you know what they think about him. Low chase rates. Uh, again, he's going to whiff, but it's not egregious. And if he can continue to hone in on the approach even more or be able to cut down the whiff slightly, there's above average power there and and good complementary tools. Yeah. Last guy in the names to watch is Hunter Barco, left-hander, who was second-round pick out of Florida in 2022. He was taken in July. He had a torn UCL in May. So the Pirates drafted him knowing that he was shelved with Tommy John surgery. He just came off TJ. 10 and two-thirds in Bradenton, 19 punch-outs, four walks. So, like, good, but notably inferior competition for a college left-hander. If he's healthy, he can climb quickly. Problem is, and I've always kind of, like, Florida pitching has put my brain in a mental pretzel since Alex Fiedo was there. Because you had Fiedo there, and you had Singer and Coar behind him. And the true, like, starting pitching in Major League Baseball talents among those three were Singer and Coar at the time. Mm -hmm. But Fiedo was the Friday guy. He was the front man. So it's like, oh, Fiedo's the best of the bunch. And then it turns out that like Singer was the best of the bunch and Coar was probably the better pro prospect at the time. Kind of same thing a couple years later, like Tommy Mace had a lot of first round buzz. Are we sure? Like yeah. you had Barco and then you had Sprout and then you had Waldrip to the fold this past year in this iteration of Florida pitching. And I know that Barco and Waldrip were not teammates, but like Waldrip is the Florida guy. Then I think it's Sprout and Barco has a lot of Tommy Mace where it's he got yeah. a bunch of outs at the college level. He throws weird. Is it going to work at the major league level to be determined? The odds are against him with a low 90s fastball. That was the thing is, you know, and, and it's early back from the TJ and sometimes it takes some time to get that velocity back. Usually we'll, we'll see an uptick at a certain point once they're ramped all the way back up, which we'll talk about with a couple specific Pirates prospects that did see that uptick post TJ. But with Barco, 
it's 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 interesting for how big he is you know he's tall and long it's a very sh- like short in terms of the extension it's pretty short so i think it's kind of easy for, for hitters to pick up at times even though it is funky i i just feel like there's not enough going for him there there are some good shape components to his pitches and he does seem to have some pretty good command he was probably the last name that just got chopped off in the top 15 him and and and, and Lonnie and probably Brannigan all kind of in that conversation there but for me I just I need to see a little bit more even when I was going back and watching at college because I wanted to watch pre-tj I just was not as high on him uh and and I just I, I just think he's on the outside looking in compared to some of these other arms that we're about to talk about in the top 15. Speaking of, let's jump right into it. And when we get to number 15 here, again, if you're watching on YouTube, like you'll probably see the name and you're like, who? Uh, if you're listening, David Matoma is the name. And you're probably saying, who? Uh, right-handed pitcher who was signed out of Uganda. And look, this is this is uncharacteristic for for our rankings, I think, to have a guy like this, this just, just ranked because he's 17 years old. He again, was signed for $20,000 out of Uganda, and we have not seen him throw outside of the Dominican Summer League. That said, I have been able to attain enough information and, and, and watch enough video that the upside on this guy is too intriguing to have a, a Barco over him. And what that upside is from this right-handed pitcher is a fastball that is already touching 101, which is already insane. An electric, electric arm, six feet tall, 165 pounds, and he just whips it in there from a 5'5 release height. I was watching some outings where he was getting more than 20 inches of carry from that release height. If he's able to harness that, like upper 90s, 5'5 release height, and and around 20 inches of carry, that's a 70-grade fa- That's That's like an outlier fastball. We have to see him continuously do that. It's a work in progress, but I watched him do that in spurts. There was one specific at bat against uh, one of the top prospects in the, in the Dodger system in the DSL and and Vargas. And he just overpowered him with three straight fastballs, hundred miles an hour. He looked incredibly uncomfortable. And that was a guy that mashed through the DSL. The slider already looks like it's coming along upper eighties, sharp bite to it. He just needs to find a little bit more consistency with it. And then he's shown the willingness to mix in a changeup. Look, there's a ton of reliever risk here, but I think if he's a reliever, he has, top end closer stuff if it all clicks, but with his athleticism and already some semblance of, of, of a field of pitch for a guy that's, you know, very raw and young pitcher out of Uganda, you know, not somewhere where we have like a lot of track record of seeing players come from. I think that it's just impossible to not be excited about what could be here with Matoma, who will be 18 years old for the entirety of this season and probably will be pitching at the complex. Thank you for emptying the tank on the information that you have, because I have nothing to add. You sent me a video and I was like, who is that? And then you said, we'll talk about him. And here we are talking about him. So like, I've got nothing. The one video that I saw of the one fastball that I saw, it was like, all right, this kid is just kind of like leaning back on the hill. And then all of a sudden he just rips a heater right by a guy. So like, it's clearly something that comes very natural to him. Yeah. And and you see that athleticism. It's a little Tink Hens-esque with the delivery, right? Where it's like that lean back, the arm kind of looks like it's over the top, but because he's so low and because he's not a tall guy, it's a low release over the top. Low release is almost an oxymoron and it takes off from there. And, and I think that's part of what makes it so uncomfortable for hitters. And I, I could see this guy just 
going fastball at 70% usage and just blowing it by guys. And then if that slider comes along, I mean, it, it, it's going to be a problem for hitters. So the upside is just too much for me to pass on. I, I'm, I'm putting that guy in the top 15 right at number 15. And it sounds like there's a very high probability that like the fastball could just carry him to a bullpen. I mean, it's a hundred miles an hour. And, and mind you, when he was signed, he was like 89 to 91, which, which at 16 is absurd. But now just seeing his first year with professional care, like doing what he did now, the, the focus is going to be development and sustainability. And, and I'm really interested to see what that looks like. Ridiculous. Another fun project for the Pirates comes in at number 14 and Michael Kennedy, a left-hander who had a really nice year at the complex last year and was a fourth round pick in 2022. Another overslot candidate here that, that they gave him a million dollars in the fourth round to sign him away from, I forget where, I believe it was an SEC school, but Kennedy was, was very popular on the summer circuit, started to really put up some impressive numbers and, you know, in high school. And I think that started to, Get teams excited because there's some unique characteristics. And I talk about trends, right? We're talking about trends with every single organization. You're going to hear me probably sound very repetitive throughout this episode because of how many arms there are and the trend with a lot of these arms. They are similar to the Rays and what the Rockies now are starting to do in, in terms of finding some unique releases. And specifically, I think the low releases that you're going to see now across the board here. It's funky or low or both. And Kennedy is both. It's this three quarters, a little bit higher than some of the other guys. That's going to be another word. I'm going to say a lot of drinking game, take a shot. Every time I say three quarters, you're going to be hammered by the end of this episode. But, but Michael Kennedy kind of three quarters ish gets, gets some good life on it, but it's only 89, 91. So from that lens, I'm a little bit concerned about how that plays up at the upper levels, but he was 18 last year. He's going to be 19 for the duration of this year. He's 6'1", 200. It's not a huge amount of projection on his frame, but you just figure naturally he grows into another tick or two. That fastball should play as above average. From that release point, his slider plays really, really well, and that looks like a pitch that can be really good as he tries to command it. And then the changeup, it's flashed average, but it's just a work in progress. I mean, he only landed at first strike about a third of the time last year. But to do what he did in the complex, to earn, you know, a, a pair of low A starts at 18 years old and, and held his own in those kind of battled some some nibbling issues there, but held his own. Uh, I thought it was a really good year for Kennedy. And if he ticks up one or two two spots on that fastball, all of a sudden, I think he could start you know racking up some whiff and, and fending off some of that reliever risk. So, number one, he was going to go to LSU from what New York State, right? Albany, New York kid that Rare. was headed to LSU, like. That's how you know a kid's good. If he's not from the Southeast and he's committed to LSU, it's like, all right, th this kid's got the goods. Um, number two, is it Invisible-esque? Like, is that what we're talking about or no? See, that's what's – it's it's hard for me to, to say because I do think it's just kind of him being unusual for lower-level hitters, and I do have some concern as to how it plays up against some other competition because we're going to talk about some more invisible – Ask pitches and a big part of that you know we talk about low release high carry all that good stuff something i texted you about a couple of days ago is like are you prepared to talk about vaaa which i was joking i'm never going to call it that but it's vertical attacking or vertical approach angle above average or you know without just getting way too deep into this stuff with people uh you know that might not want to listen to like it's extreme analytical breakdown there's guys that have that flatter attack angle than you would expect from that release height. So I think it's really important to look at, okay, if, if most guys that release a fastball from 5.9 feet, the average vertical attack angle from there is, let's say, whatever the number is. I don't have it in front of me. But if it's lower than that, 
it really allows it to play up even if you have less carry. And, and so basically what I'm trying to say is you, there's a lot of different ways that you can create unique angles. And I was looking at that for Kennedy because I saw a lot of whiff in the zone, but his vertical attack angle was if anything higher than you would expect from a player from that low release point, the lower your release point, generally the easier it is to have a flatter vertical attack angle. So that is a little bit concerning for me. And then you look at the, re- the release versus the carry it's kind of this, what you would expect, right? A, a low five foot release point and around 14 inches of induced vertical break. That's right on par with average. So nothing really stands out enough to, to say invisible just yet. And usually guys have to have results at the upper levels. Otherwise you look at the shapes and you're saying, I don't know if that's going to happen at the upper levels. There's always outliers, but he doesn't look like it from, from a pure track man perspective at this point. So it's either throw it harder or find somehow like more spin and more IVB if you can. Yes. And then the third thing would be like Nestor Cortez is one of the best at this. Like his release height's pretty high, but he yeah. generates a, a flatter vertical a, a approach angle or vertical attack angle than basically any other pitcher that releases so the ball low. from his yeah. from his height bucket. So it's harder. The higher you release it, the harder it is to have a flat VAA. And right. That's why I'm really going to start diving deeper into that. And we'll do like bonus episodes on that kind of stuff. But for Kennedy, he doesn't really stand out in any of those regards other than just a low release. So for me, that's part of the reason why I don't know if I can project this as an invisible or a plus fastball unless he he changes some things with it. And just to clarify, like with Nestor, you mentioned like it's not about slot when it comes to VAA at that point. It's it's all about kind of what happens below the belt, right? Like Nestor gets so far down on the hill that he can create that angle with like a non three quarters attack. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Which is really, really hard to do. It's like, there's a certain point where it's like physically impossible to create, you know, a, a four two, you know, negative four, two vertical attack angle from a, a certain release height, right? Like it gets to a point where you just cannot create that angle. So th- the more that you can, you know, have a flat angle, from a higher release point, the more that it's going to play up. Of course, the dream is low release point, high IVB, and that's always going to play well. But there's other ways to stray from what is a normal fastball. And we always talk about it. You want to have a fastball that looks like something that they do not that they don't see often. Right. You want it to look nothing like what they normally see is a better way to phrase that. So right now, Kennedy doesn't really have that outlier in the IVB perspective or the VAA perspective. So I'm kind of just kind of waiting to see what's going to come across here, especially when the velocity isn't there either. That said, from that release, the fastball still plays well. The slider is still good uh, and I think could be plus. And I think he's got you know a good chance of being a reliever because lefties are really uncomfortable against him. But there's going to need to be something a little bit more outlier with him with that fastball if he doesn't tick up. Yeah. With all that being said, I think like the memo that any like high schooler that's listening to this or even like college arm is you remember all those pitching coaches that told you like the lower half was the most important part of pitching? Like, oh, yeah. I, I think that's very clear. And and I think oh, it's yeah. clear with 13 as well. And I think it's do what you do. It comes naturally to you and then lean into those things to, to, to do it as the best as you can, because some guys might naturally be able to create that flatter VAA, but don't get, you know, certain aspects of a fastball that you're looking for and lean into that. Right. Or, or for a Jackson Wolf at number 13, he's a guy that, generates ridiculous extension he's six foot seven <laughs> so his fastball and, and this is a guy that i was kind of struggling to figure out where he he lines up because left-handed pitcher acquired at the right around the deadline in july from 
the Padres fourth round pick in San Diego a guy that I actually know very well. And is one of the nicest human beings I've come across. He was with Katuit, you know, on the Cape and, and was very effective there. And back then, dude, it was like 85, 87. Then his, his last year in college was more 87, 88 last, I would say 2022 it was more 88, 89. And then 2023, it was more 89, 91. And that helped a lot because at 89, 91, from a 7-2-7-3 release, which is well, well above average. You know, I, I don't need to get into analytics, right? It's just ba- common knowledge, right? The, the, the further you release it, the, the, the quicker it's going to get on the hitter. On top of that, another really low release height. And generally speaking, it's hard for guys to get good extension and have a low release. Because if you think about it, the lower your release, the closer it is to your body naturally. It just It's hard to, unless you're way out horizontally. He is pretty far out there horizontally but also gets out there in terms of reaching towards home. It's hard to do all of those things, right? He can be out there horizontally and still get that extension towards home and keep it low. He does that. So even though the fastball is probably a 45, remember 45 is like right on the fringe of big league average to have a right on the fringe of a big league average fastball while sitting 89 to 91 miles an hour speaks volumes to the deception and the command that Jackson Wolf has working off of that above average slider, average curveball, fringy change up, Good command, mixes it up. Lefties don't see the ball well. Righties, he's comfortable going to all three of those secondaries. So he's able to just kind of massage his way enough through a lineup. He made an emergency start for the Padres in 2023, held his own, then was later traded, assigned back to double A. The ceiling's a five starter, but I feel like you got a big league arm here in some capacity as a guy that could be a swing man, see his stuff tick up in, you know, two, three inning spurts where he's getting a lot of left-handed heavy lineups out, or if it all comes together, I do think could be a serviceable five starter uh, at, at the big league level. The the command from like that long of a human being makes him a big leaguer. The fact that that guy with those long a limbs has good command, like 55 command, you think in the future is hard to wrap my brain around, but like, that's who he is, man. He, he times it up well. And while the stuff may not be sale, like he, he is, I, he's snapping things off from very long arms, from likely like very long fingers. He's just built like a lank machine. And that helps your ability to like get outs with average stuff. Yep, exactly. And, and, and you add in just the field of pitch in terms of just sequencing, kind of just knowing when to go to what. And, and then the makeup just being the way that it is. I just think he's a guy that's going to be able to maximize his abilities. He's done that so far. And 2023 was a big year for him. After struggling in double in A, you know, with his first taste of it in 2022, really putting up good numbers in the Texas League, which is you know a place where the ball is going to fly plenty. And you'd think the long ball might bite him a little bit. It didn't. And, and that was really encouraging. I, I think he's going to be in Indy with you this year, which I'm looking forward to you, know, you being able to meet him. Again, great guy, easy to root for, but I think he he could be in the big leagues within the first half of this year and and could settle into uh, being a solid five starter. Again, I could give you a mid fours and eat innings and be durable at, at that lower velocity. Uh, that it was a good get for them for what was you know two pieces that didn't matter to the Pirates at all in G Man Choi and and Rich Hill. Uh, I, I've only heard that he's like the nicest guy ever from everybody that has crossed paths with Jackson Wolf. So I'm going to try and piss him off in the first week. Yes, of no, you I should. It, you you won't be able to. He legitimately is one of the nicest humans. Went to West Virginia, uh, part of that staff with Alec Manoa as well. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, just just a good dude. Number 12, 
Sung Che Chang. Did I get that right? Yes, Sung Che Chang. Shortstop, utility, fun player. Um, I know you like him a lot. Above average hit, plus run, and the ability to play a good shortstop, great second base, good third. It, it's not going to be much uh, of a power profile, but you know what? I'll take above average hit plus run and above average field as a super utility type any day of the week. And I think that's exactly what he can be. Don't care, man. I love Brendan Donovan. Like this guy just kind of screams Brendan Donovan, right? It's, hey, pop anywhere around the infield, probably lacks the ability to play the corner. But you, you think he can get by at shortstop at the major league level? Yes, absolutely. So that's the differentiator for me with these utility guys. It's like, okay, he can play a good second. Can you play a great second, a decent shortstop, a decent third base? And like you're going to whiff or you're going to punch out at like a percentage that's lower than 20. Like I feel really good about you in that case, regardless of how many homers you hit. Um, it, It just seems like he poked enough out. Granted, it helped that he was in Greensboro and that place is a band box. When you look at ERAs in Greensboro, like take them with a grain of salt. When you look at home run output in Greensboro for hitters, take those with a grain of salt because it is very easy to leave the ballpark there. Um, But having said that, like the stolen bases aren't going away. The versatility is not going away. The field of hits not going away. It just, it seems like this guy can absolutely be a utility piece. Exactly. It's just that the power is not going to be there enough, probably, um, to be an everyday player. But it's, okay. it's one of those situations where you plug him in because somebody's hurt. You know, you're in an emergency. And if he gives you a 700 OPS, something around there and plays decent defense, like that's very, very solid. And I think he can do that at least. And, uh, you know, could be a second division regular if it all comes together. But sure. I, I think this is just some some much needed infield depth now in the system because all of a sudden you look around and it's not that many guys that can really pick it and, and play all over, uh, which is somewhat surprising. Uh, Piguero kind of being similar to, to that that player, but a lot of those guys, again, kind of got up to the big league levels. Uh, again, one of your favorite players in Jiwon Bay is, is that guy that can pick it and play all over. So, you know, it's just good to have another wave of those types in the minor leagues. You, you always want to have at least a couple guys, you know, in your organizational depth chart that can fill in in case you ever make a trade or, or someone gets hurt. But what I will also say is like Piguero is pretty much moving off of shortstop with a healthy O'Neill Cruz back. Like Cruz yep. is the everyday shortstop. You got Piguero to, to fill in if you want, but like Alika Williams got a lot of run at shortstop last year. Nick Gonzalez is not going to play short at the major league level. Bay is kind of being placed in that second base slash center field role. So the Pirates need shortstop depth. And this guy can absolutely be shortstop depth, I think, as soon as the end of this year, beginning at 25. Yep. Which is, again, you can't have too much of that. No. Number 11. Another player that I know you're just going to let me talk and just say, sounds good. Uh, Xander Muth. Muth? What do you think? M-U-E-T-H. I think think it's Muth. Muth. Xander Muth. Uh, Try it. <laughs> fun arm. Uh, I've seen, I think, pipeline, and I've seen a few other. I would say, like, it, it, it's almost, easy, it's almost too easy. It's like low hanging fruit to compare the delivery to uh, Tanner Houck, the Red Sox. It's that mm-hmm. again, three quarters, but from a six six righty, very similar size. Uh, fastball is you know, arm side run from that release, so it, it, it's hard for me to to really know what it's all going to look like because I generally like to see. You know, you got to really be able to command that fastball if it's going to be arm side run from that release. Or if you're a guy that gets carry, then, you know, you're going to get a lot of end zone whiff. I want to see that. There's a lot of candidates, though, from that release point 
that do end up kind of flirting with the dead zone because they don't get the the sinker run. Um, and, and when you're horizontal like that and you're trying to throw vertically, it's hard to get a, enough carry to where you're minimizing the horizontal movement. So you, sometimes you get a, a little too much horizontal and not enough vertical and you get caught in that dead zone. The pitches I saw from him, because I was only able to watch showcase stuff and, and get some showcase data, it looked like that shouldn't be an issue. It looked like he did, was getting some good arm side run. The slider is is really good when he commands it, but I saw a lot of misses. I will say, again, I'm watching him when he was most geared up. I think that he was just trying to grip and rip too much, and he kept missing to the glove side with these sliders. I, I, I feel almost disingenuous trying to grade his command off of that. I looked at the delivery. I think it's fine. I think he can grow into, you know, fringy, maybe even better command. I, I would take my command grade here of him with a grain of salt. Uh, but this is just one of those where it's hard to, to truly project. I saw a change up that could be above average. Saw a slider that could definitely be above average. I saw a fastball that could be plus from a six, six righty. Just haven't seen enough. And it's, it's just a good system of arms, which is why he ranks at 11, but definitely as much upside as, you know, a, any other arm besides uh, our king that throws 100 from Uganda. But, you know, we're going to talk about one other arm that has more upside than than Muith, but is, again, another really exciting, young, projectable, unique arm. Only thing that I'm going to add is he is one of three autographs that you can chase in Bowman draft from this Pirates draft class. It's Muith, it's Garrett Forrester, who we talked about in the names to watch. Uh, and then the top prospect in this system. And arguably, we'll have this conversation in about half an hour. Uh, the best pitching prospect in baseball, question mark. But Moeth is in Bowman draft. What do you do? Do you hold? Do you no. sell right now? Hold. Absolutely hold. Because I, I don't think anyone, it's one of those things in Bowman draft and no one really wants to collect pitchers. Uh, people are probably just chasing skeins when you're buying spots in Bowman draft or just looking for, you know, Pirates players. And if you back into it, we we're talking about the, the, the backup plan here. If that's the second pitcher that you can pull out of a draft class and he has this kind of upside, I'm absolutely holding it. Um, it's funny. I want to talk about schemes with you, too, from the, the Bowman perspective, uh, which we will get to, to to wrap up the episode. But Muith is a really fun second arm to have for a team in, in, in Bowman draft for 2023. It's like hedging a bet, right? It's, oh, I'm I'm hunting skeins, but if I get Muith or Forrester, I'm feeling decent. Because there was college production in the Pac-12 from Forrester, too. So, you know, you've got decent second and third options to to hunt here with autos. Which is always, always, always fun. And it's also just a reminder when we go into these specific team rankings, like, and we're saying, oh, yeah, if you end up getting this player or that player in, in Bowman, like, still not a bad get. Like, we're talking about the second or third player in a specific year's set, um, for a specific team and we're still like, oh, it's fun. Like it just shows you how much talent is in the, you know, these Bowman draft boxes and just how much talent has been in these drafts. Now each year, it just seems like it's getting deeper and deeper and deeper where you're going to find so many gems in the later rounds. Right. I'm going to get into the top 10 in a moment here, but before that, a quick break. Jumping back in now to the top 10 and it is a hitter back to a hitter, Mitch Jepp who was a second round pick in 2023 and a really good bat to ball guy out of Michigan state, probably arguably one of the best bat to ball guys in the entire draft. You could easily project a 70 hit tool. And I struggled to figure out where I would rank Jeb because of the fact that just the upside is so capped, but the floor is so high. It's a unique swing where he kind of starts with his torso facing the pitcher a little bit and his hands rested on his shoulder. It's just kind of this inward coil and drops into his back hip. And then he's just focused on putting bat on ball. 
Sometimes it's almost that Ichiro swing where he's like moving out of the box while he's swinging, but he's a plus runner who produces plus plus run times to first because he gets out of the box so quickly, which tells me that even if the contact is weak, he's going to chop some balls in the, in the ground and steal hits. It's a profile that look, a lot of the modern brains in baseball don't love, but it's a profile that still ends up finding its way to the big leagues one way or another. And you see a lot of players similar to this. My challenge with Jeb, is the lack of power. Because I think offensively, you see a very similar profile to a Stephen Kwan. So not even lack of power. I would say lack of defensive ability is, is what I meant to say. With Kwan, he plays a fantastic left field, so you can pallet the lack of power because he walks and he puts bat on ball a ton. Jeb's extremely patient. He, he walks plenty. He walks more than he struck out in his pro debut, and he runs a chase rate below 20%. The problem is I don't know where he's going to play defensively. He's gotten a little bit of look at shortstop. I don't think he's very good there. I, I think it's emergency situation only. The actions aren't, I don't think, good enough with the arm to, to play third base. So it's probably a second base profile. Or he eventually makes the move to the outfield where maybe the speed plays up and you know all, he could end up being a, a good defender. But when the defense is kind of average at best at a position like second base, it just puts so much pressure on the hit tool which is why you don't see a lot of these profiles. And again, if you can play the defense and provide the value that Stephen Kwan provides, that's great. But I'm kind of waiting to see where that value comes for Jeb. Brother, he's just weird, man. Like everything about his aura in Bradenton, like the clips that I saw, I was just like, wow, you're weird. And I like you a lot. It's like, it's fun. Um, He doesn't swing and miss. Like you mentioned, this cat had nine extra base hits. He had 11 bags. And he punched out 11 times in his first 128 at bats like that 11 punch outs and 128 at bats to open your pro career is hard to wrap my mind around. And like there were just weird plays galore with him where he was swiping a bag and then popping up and immediately running the third base like out of everything I saw was like you play the game in an unorthodox way. And that's kind of fun. And we we seek different, right? Like the thing that makes you a top 15 prospect in a system is you are different. You, know, you have to be a really good normal to be top 15. Otherwise, you have to figure out a way to differentiate yourself. And this guy, like, while it's not elite normal, it's good, weird. And, and I just I think there's some value in that. The, the fact that he can get on base the way he does, you know, and walk, I think is, is huge because again, when it's, yeah, not 95% zone contact, if you factor in his pro debut and, and his time in, at Michigan state in 2023, that's fantastic. But your margin for error is so thin uh, when, when you don't offer power uh, is that you, you got to find other ways to get that OPS up. Great way to do that is draw those walks. And he does that really well. He grinds out at bats. He's a headache. So if it all works out, he can be this high OBP, high batting average, you know, good speed second baseman that hits enough to be an everyday guy. It's just the margin for error becomes very thin. I do love how high the floor is, though, given that the way he can hit, uh, the way he can run. And I am very interested to see if they decide to try him in an outfield spot with the fallback of saying, OK, you can always go back to second base. But if he can play a decent outfield or maybe even a decent center field, all of a sudden, I'm, I'm, I'm a lot more intrigued. He's got he's got kind of cult hero vibes to him, right? Like Quan, obviously, oh, yeah. is a cult hero. Jeb totally screams cult hero. I would I would love it. I'm I'm excited to see what he does this year. Yeah. Number nine, Michael Burroughs, a name that I know you like a lot, a name that I know you were disappointed to see go down so early in the season in 2023 with Tommy John surgery. Burroughs, really good stuff. 
it's a plus fastball. And I'm going to talk about why the fastball is plus, but also a changeup that made such big strides in 2022. And then a curveball that I think some people like the curveball more. I think it's very pretty. It's got a very nice shape. I think it's closer to average. It's actually the changeup that is better. But when you have a plus fastball an above average changeup, an average curveball, an average command, screams back end rotation starter to me. And when he's really on with that fastball, he could give you flashes and more. Dude, I I fell in love in the back half of 2022. And I saw a guy that dominated double A, came up and was so good in four inning spurts. And then the fifth inning was giving him fits. And then at the end of the year, he really turned it on. He figured out a way to get through that fifth inning. And I think that is the thing that a lot of common fans kind of ignore when it comes to the development of starting pitching prospects, sustaining success through the later innings. You see the spurts. Everybody wants to talk about the highlights. Everybody wants to talk about, oh, this cat topped at 99. What inning was that in? You know what I mean? Like, let's talk about what he was doing in the sixth inning. He was 99 in the second, but was he 94 in the sixth? Like, this guy was 97, and then it would taper off to 94, and he got hit. At the end of the year, it was 97 in the second. Then it was 97 in the fifth, too. And and that is the biggest stride you can make in the upper levels of the minor leagues. And I was so excited to see that. Also, like, saw the changeup develop before my very eyes on a start-by-start basis, and it was so much fun. He did get into a rhythm where right on right, it was fastball curveball. Right on left, it was fastball changeup. And there wasn't much of the other pitch, the other secondary working in against those handed hitters. So, like, I if you have the usage in front of you, I bet that guy hardly ever threw curveballs to left-handed hitters and hardly ever threw changeups to right-handed hitters. Yes. Yeah, so what was interesting to me is, like, especially with the changeup, you know, I think a big reason why the changeup plays so well is, yes, the shape is good, but I think it just works really well off of his fastball, which is that just high carry and relatively low release and and just high velocity pitch. Uh, but with the curveball, it just seemed like it was easier for hitters to pick up from time to time. And, and just was, it just seemed like to pop up out of his hand a little bit, which, which resulted in lower chase rates than you'd expect. But and it's, uh, against righties, it's easier to get away with that. Sorry. It's easier to get away with that against same handed hitters because you can work at glove side. If you exactly. hang one, if, yeah, if it pops against a lefty, like it's bombs away. Exactly. And and the funny thing is you talk about the sequencing and, and how you know hitters started to get more and more clued in on how he's going to go about it. I, I feel like righties just kind of started to get up to the plate and say, you're going to have to beat me, you know, w- with the curveball. If you locate that, sure. But I'm going to try to be ready for the fastball. And, and that's what I'm going to try to hit. And you look at the usage against righties, fastball, 60 percent usage, curveball over 30 percent. And you look at the swing rates. Opponents swung at the fastball 52% of the time. They sw- uh, This is righties. And, and they swung at the curveball 35% of the time. So basically, anytime that they saw a spin, they shut it down. So uh, you know, if you spot it three times, tip of the cap. Uh, if you go to the changeup, tip of the cap. And what's funny is he actually had some some good success with the changeup right on right, started to throw it a little bit more right on right as the season went on. So when he comes back, I do think that's going to be something that might you know, be a part of his game. Maybe he tries to add a, a cutter or or something a little bit more horizontal to help him against righties. Uh, but with lefties, yeah, he, he went to the changeup heavily, but you can get away with that more because it's so much harder to pick up. You can't just go up there with the approach of like, oh, I'm leaving a changeup. You can leave things down on the bottom third of the zone, but you can't just say, oh, anything that looks like a changeup, I'm leaving. The whole point of a changeup is you don't know 
then it's a changeup until it's too late. So right. he dismantled lefties with that. And then the curveball was just serviceable enough against lefties. So I think because they were so focused on the fastball changeup, so that he was actually able to sequence against left-handed hitters, which resulted in, you know, reverse splits, which I think is pretty interesting. But Burroughs, what, what you saw him up close, like you think number four, like number four, number five upside with flashes and more probably makes the most sense, assuming he comes back healthy because of how good that fastball is. I mean, we're talking in 2022 in zone whiff rate of like 26% on that fastball. Again, because it's mid nineties, 19 inches of IVB, and then a slightly flatter vertical attack angle than most pitchers with his release height. That usually all bodes well for a pitch that's far enough from the norm. I, I think he is Pittsburgh's Bryce Miller. Like I, I don't, I don't like calling every like fastball dominant guy Bryce Miller, but it does feel like he is Pittsburgh's Bryce Miller because the fastball he can rely on it. It's nowhere near as good as Miller's. Miller's is a 75 or an 80 pitch. Burroughs is a 60, but he is limited pitch mix, can get away with it for six innings. We've seen that in the upper minors, but there is like certainly some reliever risk and that can turn into a fastball changeup and he can be great in inning spurts, I'm sure. Exactly. And I want to use this as an opportunity to like further explain real quick the the average vertical attack angle and then like verse, you know, a, a pitcher yeah. you know, that might be in the same you know release height bucket. So a guy like Burroughs releases the fastball pretty high. Uh, what we saw in 2023 before he went down, his fastball release height was like 6.3. That's high. MLB average release height is 5.9. The difference is, okay, now how do you stand out there? You got to get good carry, right? You got to have 19, 20 inches of induced vertical break. He had that. Now, what's one other way that you can differentiate? Velocity. He's a tick above the average. What's another way that you can differentiate? The, the vertical attack angle. So the VAA here, which is interesting, is most pitchers with a release height of about 6'3", anywhere around 6'3", and I'll share this chart on Twitter because I think it's really, really helpful, but anybody with a release height around 6'3", typically has a vertical attack angle of of negative five or above you want to be as close to zero as possible burrows is negative 4.7 so that means that he's throwing from a flatter angle than most hitters are used to seeing from somebody from a 6-3 release height if that makes sense then on top of that you add induced vertical break and carry which correlates to the vaa you, you got a lot of whiff in the zone and i think that's why burrows is able to dominate with the fastball and i don't think it's quite a 70 pitch but if he gained another tick, it, it could play like a 70 pitches. You're talking about Bryce Miller and some of these other guys. You're right. Number eight, it was really hard to separate these two. And I think you could say they're both very similar. Uh, it, it, like in terms of just where they're at and, and where I think they're going to be. But Ashcraft on the other side of, of Tommy John. Braxton Ashcraft, right-hander, finished the year in double-A, returned from Tommy John. It's been, a, it's been a wild ride for him. 2019, he dislocates his left shoulder. He's a right-handed thrower. And then 2020 COVID 2021 looks good. And then eventually undergoes Tommy John surgery and returns at, at some point in 2023 and looked really good. They, they managed his innings for, for obvious reasons. And he had never thrown more than 52, 53 innings. So finally gets his way, you know, back up to work into, at least to the 50 inning mark, starting to go three, four inning spurts. The fastball shape isn't great. The velocity at 95 helps. And I do wonder if it's going to sit at 95 when he's stretched out to more than 60 pitches an outing, which he had only done twice last year. But 
what really stood out to me was the command of the secondaries. It's a plus curveball with great depth, and he commands the heck out of it. He was landing that first strike around 70% of the time. And then it's a short, hard slider that he lands for a strike more than 70% of the time as well. So to have the command of those two pitches like that, I think mitigates what's mostly an average fastball when you look at the shape and, and the way it ultimately gets hit. And when it gets stretched out, I think it even plays even closer to, to, to average. But to have two above average breaking balls that he commands really well and they have really good splits against both lefties and righties. Seems like he's a high probability back end of the rotation arm yet again here and still 24 years old despite all of these detours. Yeah, so the one time that I've seen Ashcraft live was New York Penn League in Morgantown, West Virginia in 2019. And I want to say it was it was a day that I was kind of pissed off because it is my minor league horror story. I think he threw that Sunday night. It was supposed to be a one o'clock start. The West Virginia Black Bears wanted to have a fireworks night. So they pushed it back to, I think, 630 p.m. It went 12 innings. It game oh. spanned over five hours. We leave Morgantown at 1230, pull into Auburn, New York at 730, get back to my bed in Syracuse at 815. I'm out the door at 1145 again to go back to Auburn. So like I was just pissed off the day that I watched Braxton Ashcraft throw. Um, (laughs) Having said that, I remember really liking him in 2019. Problem is 2019 was a long time ago. There was a pandemic in between. Um, I, I just like. I don't know. He's he hasn't been on the hill. I'm really excited to see him in AAA this year. It's like I've really got nothing to add on him other than I'm excited to see him pitch because it hasn't happened in a while. The craziest part about that is that's like less than a hundred innings ago, <laughs> which is right. which is not. Yeah, yeah. We just it? don't have a sample so to work with since 2019. <laughs> but to return the way he did, that's what's so encouraging. And, and oh, yeah, overall strike rate of 70 percent across those three pitches. That's phenomenal. Uh, and and the curveball depth was just so impressive. And the, the, the slider, it's kind of cutterish. It's not going to get a ton of whiff, but it looks so much like his fastball that it plays up, gets a lot of chase. And I think it's a good three-pitch mix that's going to make him a high probability back end of the rotation starter. Could debut as soon as, as this coming season. A lot of guys that could debut this year. It's going to be fun to see kind of who separates themselves because at number seven is just another candidate who could do the same in Thomas Harrington. This is the closest to the invisible that that I'm talking about here now, Jack, because Harrington is very unique with the fastball, also has great command. Second round pick out of Campbell back in 2021. And what I love about Harrington is he was a walk-on. And by the time he really walked, by the end of the freshman year, I think he's the conference freshman player of the year, which is amazing for a walk-on. And then by his draft-eligible sophomore year, he's the first Golden Spikes finalist in Campbell program history. So, I mean, what, what a rise for, for Thomas Harrington, easy guy to root for. But on top of that, you get a 5-5 release height. So uh, that's going to be quite low for a guy that's not throwing from three quarters, right? This is a, a vertical, normal release that, you know, again, is, is lower at 5-5 a pretty flat vertical attack angle, and then also just gets decent extension and just seems to locate the heck out of the fastball. So just by doing that alone, he gets a lot of swing and miss. Then working off of that is an above average slider that he commands the heck out of as well. So you have two pitches here that are above average flashing plus that he just fills up the zone with. Remember, he's 22 years old. He doesn't have a ton of miles on the arm because of being a walk-on because of the fact that he was a draft eligible sophomore. And so far, it's just been great. That fastball pounds the zone with it, 72% strike rate. Still picked up end zone whiff rate of 
25%, and a chase rate over 30%. It only sits 93 miles an hour. So if he gains another tick, it's it's better than a plus pitch. But because of the low release side, because of the good carry, and because of some of the, the unique characteristics to it, he gets a lot of whiff. And then the command, it's east, west, north, south, freeze you at the knees, get you to whiff at the top, and then pick at both sides on the outer half and inner half. It just seems like he can just pick up part lineups when he's really locked in, especially if he has the changeup going for him, which is the one inconsistent pitch that he has. Uh, it would be cool to see that pitch come along because then I think he's got a really good chance at sticking as, you know, a high end four, maybe even, you know, a below average three. So it took until 2021 for Campbell, who, by the way, is a good college baseball program to get their first Golden Spikes finalist. Didn't Neto follow that up the year after? Like it probably would have gone mm-hmm. to Harrington in 21 and Zach Neto hit like 450. At yeah. Campbell. I might be being hyperbolic right now, but if I'm not mistaken, back-to-back Golden Spikes finalists for Campbell after never having one pre-2021, which is really cool. And like Matthew Barefoot was at Campbell in the late 2010s. Yeah. Like he he was legit. Like he was Golden Spikes caliber or at least finalist caliber. Um, I don't have much to add because I haven't gotten to see him live. But I will tell you that the Pirates brass loves Harrington. Like that's a name that is constantly brought up. I get it. I mean, to make 93 play the way that it does and to have the command of the slider that he has change up, I still think can be an average third pitch. He's a high probability big league starter. Again, they've just got so many of these guys, which makes it refreshing to send us into number six, which is uh, not a high probability big league starter, but could be one of the nastiest arms in the minor leagues as soon as this year. And it's June Sock Shim. Did I get that right, Jack? June Sock Shim? I think it's just Jun Suck Shim. Jun Chuck Sim. Jun Jun Suck Shim. I think that's what it is. Don't know yet. Like he hasn't thrown with a commentator yet. Yeah, that is true. He has not thrown with a commentator yet. Um, But the the crazy thing is, I've already seen enough for this guy to be uh, the the number six prospect in a a solid system. Oh my goodness, is he disgusting? 6'4, 215 pounds. He signed for $750,000 to to forego the KBO draft where he would have been probably the top pick or somewhere near there. Uh, And and just go straight here and, and. Sees how fast he can climb up. Probably had as good of a pro debut as you could imagine for an 18-year-old. His first start at the complex, he goes four innings. Perfect. Eight Ks. Unfortunately, he showed up to spring training with an ankle ailment. And I think after that four-inning start, it flared back up again. So he made one more appearance and then went on the shelf for several months. Then returned in October, a couple more outings, short spurts. Stuff looked insane again. He's not ranked highly anywhere because no one has that much information on him. I will say that the the data that I was able to pick up and some of the video that I was able to see, it's alien. If if it all you know comes together the way I think it can, the fastball is is already up to the upper nineties, flirting with a hundred. With again, unique characteristics. The Pirates are very good at continuing to identify this. But then he has a sweeper that is just disgusting. That has flashed over 20 inches of of horizontal in the low 80s. And then a curveball that literally breaks too much that the Pirates have to work on almost either making his release side a little bit higher, which I don't think they should do because it's below average release and it helps the fastball play to a potentially plus plus pitch. But he's going to need to find a way to, to command that curveball. 
it's over 20, I think it's 23 inches of vertical break. So when you have that much induced vertical break on your curveball, it is really hard to land for a strike, especially from a lower release. So he might need to throw it a little bit harder and with a little bit less break. But the fact that he can manipulate it the way that he does, again, we talk about these these international pitchers specifically you know, from Japan and, and Korea. They have this ability to manipulate the baseball that, that few do. And remember, this is a big league baseball. We're not going off a of KBO or anything else or any of that kind of data. 3,200 RPMs on the breaking ball, on specifically the curveball. It, it's, it's freak stuff. If he's healthy this year, and it wasn't an arm injury, so if he's healthy this year, I think Shim will be one of the biggest risers and one of the more popular names in the prospect world this coming season, where I think he'll presumably start in low A. Do you think he's a top 100 prospect at the end of the year? Yes. Do you mm-hmm. think he's the top 100 prospect at the midseason update? Yeah, I do. Okay. How close is he right now? I can't. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I, I was funny because I was going to ask that because like, I want to, but it, realistically, I'm not taking him over a player that I've seen more of. And every guy on the top 100 list, almost every single one, except for a very few. And even the oh, ones God. that I haven't seen a ton of, I've still seen a lot more of. Right. I can't, I can't put him in there yet. But he's pretty much just it's just more of validate everything that I believe to be the case here. And, and you're there. So it's more just waiting on enough evidence to be able to confidently hypothesize. Otherwise, I feel like I'm just kind of throwing you know shit at the wall. Right. Although I will say, I feel like I've seen enough to feel very good about his chances of being uh, the guy that we think he can be. It's potentially double plus fastball, potentially double plus slider, curveball. That's disgusting. And he just started picking up the splitter. Which, if that turns into an offering for him, holy crap. I think outside of Paul Skeens, he's got the highest upside, even more than Bubba Chandler, if it all you know, clicks. I think he's got the highest upside in the system outside of Paul Skeens pitching-wise. So, friend of the program and part of Just Baseball, Taylor Davis, uh, for the last, I, don't, I guess, like eight months, he was at the Complex this past year. And, you know... As soon as I found out that he was going to the complex, I was like, I need Shim updates as often as you can give them to me. And we were talking last week and I said, what's the latest on Shim, man? He said, he's here. I see him in Bradenton. I'm just like, I need updates on on Shim because the things that I've read and like this validates everything that I've read, like pitch by pitch, this dude's a freak show. Yep. He can do some some very unique stuff. And then. Again, some of the underlying things we were talking about with VAA and the, like he checks all those boxes. I, they must have been freaking out when they first found him, you know, and got the data on him. Sturdy too at 6'4, 215 pounds, which helps a ton uh, for the durability and the chance of sticking as a starter. Into the top five here, we're going to talk about Anthony Solomito in just a moment. Before that, one more quick break. Number five, Anthony Solomito. A name that I, I think that you talk about the Pirates brass, who, who they love. It seems like this is one of their absolute favorites. And and for good reason. They took him in the second round in 2021, right? And yeah. since then, really just has absolutely shoved. And last year, it really all came together. The fastball ticked up, I think almost by two ticks, which was huge because we're talking about funky lower velocity. Now he's up to to 92, 93 in a lot of his starts, even grabbing a four. Once he doubled his innings total, his career high in innings, it it started to taper down to to 88, 89. And even then, his velocity tapered down, and he was facing the toughest competition of his career at 20 years old in double A and still was effective. 
But when he was sitting 92 to 94, he was disgusting. He was one of the most effective left-handed pitching prospects in the game. I see an above-average fastball, a plus slider, a changeup that's a work in progress here. But with his deception, with the unique release, and the quality of his slider, and the command of both, I think he could get away with being mostly a two-pitch guy because there's a little bit more nuance to him just quote-unquote being a two-pitch guy considering that he also has a sinker and then more of that four-seamer as well. So he's got two different fastballs where he can change the eye level. Then he's got this slider. I think that might be enough even if the changeup doesn't come along. Do you know how distracting the glove hand would be for a hitter? Like put yourself in a left-handed hitter's shoes. I have no idea how I'm touching that slider when I've got like my eyes on that glove hand that's doing a bunch of weird things in a place that like I can't see it. And then all of a sudden he's like almost turning himself around. There's so much horizontal movement and torque in his delivery. It looks weird. And the fact that he commands it really well at six, five, like there's there's so much unorthodox going on here. And if he's got good fastball characteristics and good slider characteristics, it's it's hard for me to not see this guy making his way through five big league innings. It's so mad bum, isn't it? The, it's the release. so mad bum. And it's just, I think the release alone just allows everything to play up. Because if you looked at the the, the pitch shapes in a vacuum, it, the, they don't look insane. But he's able to get so much whiff at the top of the zone with the fastball, then still mixing in, you know, that that sinker, you know, version of it to, to just change the eye level and get some ground balls and some early contact. But to throw from that spot and land that slider for a strike 70% of the time is I outrageous. Mean, dude, like sometimes it's as simple as hitter may be distracted. <laughs> like, I, and that is how I feel with Solomito. And what's even more wild is I think righties are more distracted because he actually puts up better numbers against right-handed hitters, which I would actually love to see. You're going to face more righties when you're a funky lefty to be able to stick as a starter. You, you got to prove that, you know, you can post steady splits. I'm not really concerned about him being able to get lefties out, but the fact that he actually is reverse splitting a little bit is, is great. And I think it's because of how hard it is to see the ball as a righty when his shoulder his back is almost turned to you. And the arm is the last thing you see righties See that arm even later with that, you know, cross body delivery. That just makes it so much more difficult. So when his fastball plays better against righties, that makes me even more confident that he can be a two-pitch guy because you know left on left from that release point, that slider is going to be a problem. So the fact that the righty that he could go fastball heavier against righties, I think the changeup can be a passable third pitch. But the fact that the sinker is technically a third pitch and he's got that changeup going, I think he could be a middle rotation arm. And this is a guy that probably will be on the top 100 update. Yeah, love it. Number four, guy who was on the top 100 list and gets the slight edge, Bubba Chandler. Very, very athletic, very, very talented, and had a great year overall. Another dude that I, I you know, you, you got to look at the numbers in terms of the underlying stuff and say he's got so much more in there versus, you know, the the, the ERA and, and the surface level stats that you see. But it wasn't like he was bad by any means in that regard. But I, I think he's so much better than the the output that you've gotten statistically so far. And I think it's all going to start to really come together this season. You've got, I mean, this is a guy that was probably one of the best athletes, you know, in, in his draft class. When we talk about really whether pitchers or not, he was committed to, to play quarterback at, at Clemson. He also was a two-way player who could play the outfield, you know, could play different positions. He's also a switch hitter. 
Like his whole body is 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 balanced and stimulated because he's used it in so many different ways as an athlete. Now focusing just on the mound, we've seen Chandler just continue to come along and along and along and still young. This dude could really explode this year. And and he's going to be one of the the breakout guys I'm looking at that could have a monster season on the bump. Everything happens for a reason. Like Dabo is so anti NIL that Bubba Chandler is now a Pittsburgh pirate. Like, and I have no idea if NIL packages played into that at all. But like, think about that. You have the chance to go play quarterback at a, at a program that has won like a national championship in recent memory. Like Clemson before this year was considered one of the bells of the ball in college football. Do you know how hard that is to turn down even for first round money in the third round? And it's a great like, baseball program too. It's a great baseball program. Okay, so go do both. But dude, like this guy jumped on the opportunity here. And and I think the Pirates are maximizing what they have. I love that they shut down the hitting thing as quickly as they did. Yes. Because they could let him climb and try it. Like I I love that the Cardinals shut down the pitching thing with Mason Wynn as quickly as they did. Yeah. Because they see somebody that can be a star in what they do in one aspect. Mason Wynn can be a star shortstop. He could have been a good reliever, but a star shortstop. Bubba exactly. Chandler could be an okay bat, but he could be a star starting pitcher. And I think they identified the right thing. A hundred percent. I, you know, when I had to write both reports like a year and a half ago on, on him as a hitter and a pitcher, I, I scrapped the hitting report and just said, I, there's no way um, that they're going to keep having him do this. When you see how exciting he is on the mound and that athleticism really shines through the arm speed is is off the charts. Like it, it, you see how fast his arm goes. It, it must make the fastball just spin right out of his hand like crazy. He did get burned by the long ball from time to time, but we talked about like pitching in some of the environments. It's 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 tough. Like the ball just leaves the yard easily. He's a high carry fastball guy that likes to pitch at the top of the zone. I don't think he's going to get burned by the long ball as much at other ballparks and other areas. Uh, you know, now getting away from some of the more hitter hitter friendly environments that he had to play at. So that lens, and then on top of that. His changeup feel got better and better and better as the season went on. And yeah. over his last 10 starts, he landed his changeup for a strike about 65% of the time with big whiff numbers. So you have high whiff numbers on the fastball, high whiff numbers on the changeup, a cutter that is a good third pitch, and a slider that he's trying to kind of more consistently find a feel for. I, I'd like to see some sort of slurvy, different breaking ball that could help. But even then, cutter, changeup, fastball should play pretty well. He's 21 years old. I do think that there's a case for Solomito here. For me, they're really... 4A, 4B, and I think you could go with with, with Solomito. I, I just lean the athleticism of Chandler because, uh, again, averaging 96 miles an hour over his final 10 starts with good shape, I think he could dominate with the fastball. You talk about who could be this system's Bryce Miller. I think Chandler even more so than than a Burroughs with, with just the, the ridiculous arm talent that he has. My thing is, like, we are in a new frontier of pitching prospect in what world does somebody with a, a 70-esque grade fastball have a 60-grade changeup? It, it, like, for the entirety of baseball history, if you had a really hard fastball, you had a really good breaking ball, too, because like it, it's all max force. Like, how does a freak athlete have a great changeup like this? This is just it's, weird, man. And like this is the new norm. Like Expect the unexpected. And I think the command with that athleticism, with already having that feel for the changeup that you just don't normally see from guys like that, as yeah, you you're mentioned, not supposed to have this. It's that's what makes him really special. And and I think that he could be fastball changeup heavy with how good the fastball is. Because when you get that high carry fastball, 
the changeup's always going to play up. And then he's mix, still able to mix in a cutter that flashes above average. It should be really fun. Yeah. Number three, guy that you saw plenty of, and we've had, you know, as an interview on the show. So go check that out. Uh, probably 20 episodes back. You talked to him at the ballpark, Jared Jones, top 100 prospect as well. And a guy that should see some big league action this coming year. I wouldn't be surprised if he breaks camp. Would you be surprised if, if Jared Jones breaks camp? I think it'll have to do with the other puzzle pieces in the rotation. Um, like I, I unfortunately think he doesn't really control his own destiny and there's no point in having him break camp with them if he's not one of the five starting pitchers. But I think Quinn Priester and Roansi Contreras and Luis Ortiz will all have impact on what happens with Jared Jones. Makes sense. So this is a fastball slider combination that again, I like from hell. I think it's enough to be a starter as well. It's just another guy that could turn a lineup over, give you five quality innings when he's dialed in with that fastball. And you go, you've seen it. So I'll just talk about what I saw in terms of putting these grades together. And then you could talk about what you've seen, you know, just full on starts, watching his preparation, watching, you know, sometimes when it doesn't go well, how he battles through adversity, how he's bounced back and things like that. But um, I think the heater could be plus plus when you look at, all of the characteristics and then the velocity having an uptick and, you know, the athleticism on the mound deceptively only 22 too. I don't think people realize that he's still very, very young. He's going to be 22 for most of the season up until August, but the fastball average 96 and a half and with good characteristics to five, six release height. It's again, another vertical attack angle that is flatter than, than most pitchers from a five, six release height. So then further playing up into the, you know, the carry and the ride at the top of the zone. Surprise, surprise, 27% in zone with 15% swinging strike rate on the fastball. Then you have that hard, short cutterish slider, which it seems to be something that they love in this pirate org is that hard cutterish slider. He throws it at 88 to 91 and sometimes throwing at 93, 94. <laughs> We've yeah. seen them really, really hard. And it just dismantled hitters. They hit a buck 80 against it this year with a 36% chase rate, 20% swing strike rate, and he filled the zone up with it. The changeup is the work in progress. If he can just mix it in a few times per start, the way we see like a guy like Christian Javier do it for, you know, here and there, I think that's all he really needs. And curveball is kind of the taste-breaking strike stealer, but it's going to be the fastball and slider that he probably throws 80% of the time, and that as long as he has the command of the two, he can turn lineups over and be a good five-and-dive or, or you know, depending on how much he can mix in the change in curve – could be a, just a quality number three starter. So his mound presence is something that I fell in love with. And there is some downside to it. But like I think a lot of the most elite pitchers in baseball have a mound presence that is similar to Jared Jones. And that is, I'm better than you. I'm pitching pissed off. He pitches pissed off. And I bet you can gather that just from like watching a start. Hell, I bet you might even be able to see it in the data. Like he just yeah. pitches angry. I was gonna say, look at the strut off the mound right here, even too on the on the on the gif. Like you just he's just ready to go right back to the dugout and come right back out there and do it again. Like he's 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 intense, and, and I I like that, especially for my fastball slider guys that just throw everything hard and harder. Right, and and I loved my conversations with him because. He's an intense guy. Like he can joke quickly. Like we talked about, you know, his golf game and he's like, oh no, I'm terrible. And we talked about like, hey, are you a Cali boy? You're from Southern California. He's like, no, never in a million years. But 
when it's time to talk pitching, like that guy switched it on. And I was like, wow, like you really care about this shit. And yeah. and I love talking to guys that are that intense about it because, hey, it's their livelihood and he's out to prove something. And I, and I love seeing guys pitch like they have something to prove. He's not a big guy. What do you have his measurables at? Six foot. Okay, six so foot six foot a buck 80. This guy was like a legit 20 homer threat in high school. He was committed to Texas to do both. He was going to hit nukes as a corner outfielder and he was going to pitch. And like the Pirates signed him away. And dude, like watching him throw was fascinating. And there were some starts that like, hey, there were blips and, you know, there were some starts that got away from him. And that is the other end of the sword of, hey, you pitch pissed like things can snowball on you. But a two-start stretch, his his second-to-last and third-to-last starts of the season. Last one, four and two-thirds, two earned. They were two solo shots. Okay. But before that, his previous two starts, 13 innings, five hits, 12 punch-outs, two walks. It was dominating. And he did that in a very hitter-friendly ballpark in Omaha. And then he did that against a Toledo lineup that had Colt Keith, Justin Henry Malloy. I think Parker Meadows was still there at the time. Like, it was a good Toledo lineup, and he made minced meat of two lineups, one in a band box. And that's, I mean, I remember you texting me about him throughout the year and just and just about the way you could kind of turn the page and bounce back and compete. And I, I think that's important when you're this type of pitcher, too, because, look, Jerry Jones is going to have his blow-up starts. When you're 80% fastball slider, there's just going to be those outings where it's not there. We've, we see it all the time with these types. But being able to turn the page, there's going to be those outings where it's seven shutty when you're commanding those two pitches as well as, you know, we know he can. And that I think is ultimately the, the big differentiator. Yes. You can talk about development of the changeup. I, I think just with the way he throws, it's going to be hard for that changeup to really even be an average pitch. I think the most important thing is, can the command be average or above average? Because if he's spotting with those two pitches, that fastball and that slider, it, those two pitches don't discriminate lefties and righties will have trouble and it'll be a plus plus fastball. It'll be a plus slider. And, that, that'll that be all he needs to be a middle rotation starter. Yep. Number two, a hitter. Yay, before we wrap up with you know, zero suspense on, on the mound. Tamar Johnson. Um, we've talked about him plenty as a guy that, you know, we don't need to revisit the whole. And if you want to hear more about Tamar, check out the top second base prospects episode we did. If you're a Pirates fan, you know, coming over just for the sake of those who listen to, to all of them. Don't want to revisit the whole conversation. Spark notes. TLDR is, you know, we were sold. We were told that this would be, you know, one of the best hit tool guys that, that we've seen in some time out of the high school ranks. And then he wasn't that. But we were also told that the power might not be all the way there. You know, he could grow into plus, but he's not that big. Blah blah blah. He's got way more power than anybody gave him credit for. So it's a different profile. That said. I still really like this profile. And if you're watching the video right now on YouTube, there's a reason why I think Tamar is going to be able to lean into what is more whiff than I think people would have expected, more way more power than I think people would have expected, and be able to succeed like this as a bat first second baseman. That pitch, and again, I'll, I'll describe it for those who are just listening, it's a fastball tailing away down and away on the outer part of the plate. Watching all of Tamar Johnson's basically every single ball he hit hard this year. So many of them were on the, the, the bottom part of the zone, not because he's incapable of getting to the top of the zone, but because he's hunting anything that is accidentally tugged belt down, or if anything's hung, not even sometimes not even hung at the bottom of the zone, he's not going to miss it. 
because his swing is geared for lift and geared for damage. What, why this works for him is he doesn't chase, right? And, and I always talk about Mike Trout because Mike Trout is the pinnacle of this, right? He has a blue zone. His blue zone is the top third of the strike zone. If a pitcher goes and locates three straight fastballs at the top of the zone, so a lot of times Mike Trout will go down looking and, and walk back to the dugout. Right. It takes a lot of guts to do that because if you tug it down six inches, it's in the seats. And also it's just really hard to consistently spot at the top of the zone. Go look at Mike Trout's chase rates above the top of the zone. I believe it's 6%. So what he does, is he's never going to give you a strike at the top of the zone. You're going to have to get it yourself. And then you're, you're going to have to get it a couple more times. And if it's below, he's not going to miss. And that's what I'm seeing from Termar on a much lesser scale, obviously. But we always talk about one of the only hitters that's a teenager that's walked 100 times since 2005 joining Jet Williams. That stood out to me. Sub 20% chase rate. A guy who sticks to the approach who's going to let you beat him on those yeah. elevated fastballs, but he's not going to miss that stuff at the bottom third. He's not going to miss the ball left over the heart. He's going to strike out. It's going to happen. He's going to be a guy that's going to strike out probably 25% of the time, even at the highest level. Okay. But he's going to walk a ton to offset it, and he's going to hit a lot of homers and make a lot of impact. I think like Max Muncie with, I think, more bats of all upside and more more defensive ability. But in terms of the ability to tap into that power and walk. I like, I like Muncie as a comp because he can be an OPS machine, man. He's going to slug and he's going to get on base and guess what you get paid via OPS. And what I mentioned on the second base episode was like Dan Ugla had nine years of service time, three all-star games and $76 million in his pocket. And that was from 2006 to 2015. Like what is Dan Ugla getting now? A lot more. Like he, he is, he's even oh, yeah. more valuable now than he once was. And Muncie, Muncie's gotten paid, man. Like this guy's going to get paid. He's going to get 10 years of big league service time because he's always going to hit for power and he's a good enough second baseman. And he's 19. And when you can yeah. generate that kind of bat speed and you have that kind of approach, maybe the hit tool does come along, right? Those guys, they, they were not this at this age. You know what I'm saying? Like Dan Ugo was a rule five draft. Like Max Muncie, was was a failed prospect and then finally got another opportunity and it all clicked for him in his late 20s. Tamar is already, I think, a guy that's on a fast track to that kind of profile, but at 19 years old with so much time to continue to rectify you know, the swing and miss issues in the zone. You know, there's a loud barrel tip. There's a big leg kick. Maybe he's able to you know minimize that a little bit without compromising the power, which I think he can just off of his rotational explosion, his lower half strength and, and his, his bat speed. So if he's able to to mitigate some of those moving parts and make more contact, then he's better than those guys. And that's why he's one of the best prospects in baseball. Um, you know, when you look at the second base position, but also a top 30 overall prospect. For sure. Number one, not much suspense here. Paul Skeens. I'll start with this. Jack, with no insider information, by the way, Jack's not revealing anything. Do you think we will see, you will see Paul Skeens? Will I get to hear your majestic voice over a Paul Skeens strikeout in 2024? Yes. Yes. So for those who might not know what that question means, Jack is the AAA broadcaster for the Indianapolis Indians. Welcome to the show, if you're just finding us then. Um, And we selfishly want Paul Skeens in AAA for a little bit. Then you can go to the show, get that clock going right away. But... I would love to see, you know, I would love for you to get that opportunity to call, you know, a Paul Skeen's AAA start. But on top of that, I, I think it just makes sense 
there's some things he still needs to to refine a little bit. I think he was out of gas at the end of the year. And and I, for obvious reasons, I'm surprised they really had him throw at all at the end of the year. I would have just shut him down after you know how many pitches he threw. I mean, he threw 120 pitches in three of his final four starts. It was 124 pitches, 101, 123, 120. They obviously managed the workload really carefully. He only threw like 20 to 30 pitches three times. And aside from the the first you know inning spurt we saw at the complex and, and one inning in Bradenton. But even then, the plan was for him to, to throw more. And they stopped for a reason. He probably was like, my body is exhausted. I don't know. I'm speculating. But they said he was going to throw more than he did, and he didn't. Well, dude, I'm glad. he got... He got rocked in Altoona that one game. Like that the one game, then he bounced back. Rocked in Altoona. <laughs> yeah, he was tired. This guy threw tired. so much. Threw it's so okay much. To be tired. Yeah, um, I've already emptied my clip on Skeen's information from like all the draft stuff and like the college baseball stuff that we were doing in the spring. Like I've got nothing new on Skeen's. You probably are more well versed on Skeen's just as a listener than anybody else like in minor league baseball it's probably skeins and jackson holiday but even then you probably know more about skeins um yeah i would i would expect a couple skein starts in indy but not many because this guy's like i i don't know i don't think he's gonna meet like adequate competition until the major league level which is crazy but that's who he is, man. Like he's he's better than Hunter Green ever was as a prospect. And and Green is the comp here, but like the fastball's better and the slider's better and the changeup is better. Like yeah. th- there's just I I don't know. It's you're going to need to sell me on somebody not named Yamamoto being a better pitching prospect in the minor leagues and schemes. I may work on doing that at some point. Um Yeah, that's yeah, fine. And do it. But- it, but understandably so, right? Because you, you factor in, I'm, I'm even including the, the pro debut as well. When you have a 70% strike rate and you're sitting 99, like people can talk about the shape all they want. And I understand that. But I think it's a little different than Hunter Green's because, yes, Green is also was also 100, 101, 102. But it was straight line, like dead zone-ish. Skeens is getting more arm side run and like it's not the most desired shape in the world, but he gets more arm side run. And I think that really makes for uncomfortable at bats for righties where it just gets in on their hands. On top of that, it really works well off of the slider because you got just opposite actions here. And it's also some late movement. So I, I look, it, it's not going to get the, the whiff at the top of the zone. I think it's going to get plenty because it's a hundred. It, it might not be off the charts, off the charts, off the charts. It'll be really good. Um, but I, I think people talking about the shape, yes, you can c- cite that as a reason as to why he won't be the best pitcher of all time, right? Or like why he won't be instantly, you know, can't miss Steven Strasburg level uh, in, in terms of the impact. Like, I don't know if it, if it looks like Steven Strasburg right away. Um, and, and I do think that those comps are a little unfair because Strasburg, I just think, is on, was on a different level in terms of just pitchability and shapes and, and, and the way his arsenal works. But at the same time, the development of Skeen's changeup as the year progressed and some of the changeups that I saw him throw at the end of the season, I think are the, is that's the big differentiator. You can talk about the fastball shape. You can talk about like it's 100, it's going to work. And he fills the zone and he hits his spots. The slider is disgusting. If the changeup comes along, it's going to help the fastball play up at the top of the zone because even if it doesn't have that ride that you want, Guys are worried about a changeup. It's going to make the fastball look harder. 
You're going to change eye levels more. You're going to freeze guys at the knees more. I, th- I think the changeups, the, the big X factor here as to whether Paul Skeens reaches his ceiling of, you know, top 10 pitcher in the game versus just being a really, really solid starter that nobody's like, oh man, what happened to Skeens? But, you know, he's not Steven Strasburg at his peak. I, I think the changeup's going to be the big part of it. And I'm really excited to see how it continues to develop. And I think he's got every chance to, to develop that changeup. He went into the offseason with one thing to work on. He's going to figure that shit out. Yeah. You can't teach the durability. Knock on wood. You can't teach that size. I'd like to see a little bit more extension. I'm surprised he doesn't get more extension. But again, I just think it's a more unique release than people give credit for it. It's a little bit funky. It's a little bit low for how tall he is. And it's got some late movement to it. My question for you is if you're collecting Bowman draft, we we talked about it in the past. Like how many, how many bats are you taking? Because we talk about you don't want to collect yeah. pitchers. But how many bats are you more excited to collect than Paul Skeens uh, you know, in this draft class? Lankford. That's it. That's it. I think. Fair enough. I, I think he's like become one of the biggest chases for a good reason because not only is he going to be fun as hell uh, to, to watch, it's he's going to be one of the first guys there. The, the yeah. fact that Langford might beat him is absurd. Uh, yeah. But that's it. Just Langford. That's it. Yeah. I like uh, Bryce Eldridge because the two way thing is intriguing, but like, yeah, Langford. I love it. I love it. Well, that's it. If you know where to find him, go get him in 2023 Bowman draft. Paul Skeens is one of the most popular chases. And so far, I have not seen his super fractor pulled. Could you imagine uh, what, what that would bring in? Uh, if Mucho someone pulled one of them. Sorry? Mucho dinero. Oh, a lot. A lot, a lot, a lot. So looking forward to seeing whoever pulls that. I wonder if there's a bounty on that one. Also, that Tom Brady card that with the half a million dollar bounty is still outstanding. So uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens if anyone pulls that anytime soon. As always, thank you for listening. We're going to talk Orioles top prospects with you later this week.